When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. We return to a mysterious canyon for an unusual update. A man and his father fight in a living room with horrible yet hilarious consequence. And then finally, we take a look at a woman who believed that vampires were taking over the world. And the only way to stop them was to kill them one by one by one. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Episode 2 of Vampire Week. Episode 2 of recording all 5 episodes in one day. Still got good energy. We're still ready to go. First off, I want to say thank you to my latest Patreon. This is the last Patreon we'll probably get to this week since we're re- unless I get one in the next two hours. Gary Foster, thanks for supporting the show. Gary Foster sent us the Vampire Pope story, which I covered a couple weeks back. He sent me some other stuff that we'll be covering in the future. But thank you, Gary, very much for supporting the show. I also... Let's take a trip back to Gaddington Canyon. Let's hop on board the Carboner Copter. Let's go flying over the canyon. Now, Gaddington Canyon was something I covered probably about four or five episodes ago. It's a canyon in Utah. Well, even that's an interesting question. There is a canyon in Utah. Whether or not it's known as Gaddington Canyon, even that's up for debate. It's a very, very bizarre story. The story we covered were these four girls uh, tried to get home to their dorms. They took a shortcut through the canyon. They were driving. a. They met a dead end in the canyon that they didn't know was there. They turn around, go back, and they end up in an alternate dimension where a bunch of yokel aliens chase them back to our reality. Now, one of the websites I cited on that show was the Debunker Files. And that's where I said, this guy said that Gaddington Canyon, there's no such place. There's no canyon named that. And I verified that. And that's true. There is no canyon named Gaddington Canyon. And the guy who does the Debunker Files listens to the podcast. And he goes, yeah, I guess I might have said that his website was stupid. I don't remember saying that. I remember just kind of being like, his website's kind of, uh. But he did have this piece of information. He listens to the podcast and he's like... Yeah, yeah, you know, I came up with that website when I was like 15 and stuff like that. And he went back and read the website he had written. He goes, I totally forgot that I'd even written that. Heard it on your show. And I was like, what? And then he read that and he was laughing about it. Now, and I said, I didn't think it was poorly written, but that was the only source that said Gaddington Canyon wasn't a real place. Now, I was able to verify that. But it was interesting, all these stories about Gaddington Canyon, so I, I want to thank Sean for coming up with that piece of information. That was kind of the linchpin for that story. But that's not the main reason I'm doing this update. I got an email from somebody named Temporal. I think that's the name. It's a lot of letters and numbers, but Temporal, I got this email. And he found, because and I think I said the earliest reference of Gaddington Canyon I found was like 2007 or something like that. He was able to find it earlier. From 2000. So this is an old story. 
This is much older than I thought it was. And what's super interesting is he stumbled across this as well. So thank you, Temporal, for finding this out. There's another wrinkle in this bizarre story because I was kind of like, eh, this is weird. So in 1945, there was a book called Utah, A Guide to the State. Now, the Gaddington Canyon story supposedly took place in the 1970s. In Utah, people refer to that area as like the Gaddington area or the Gaddington Canyon because in the Book of Mormon, there was a Gaddington gang operating out of a canyon in that area. And I explained that in the first episode as well. But this is an interesting note in this book written in 1945. They're talking about the area with the canyons that the Gaddingtons used to used to work out of. Here's the quote. Wide-eyed freighters told tales of rocks closing the way and of the canyon folding up to entrap them. And that was similar to when they were driving through the canyon and they came across that new wall. They came to a dead end when they thought that it just kept going on and on. So the story of, of, of a canyon in that area having unique characteristics in and of itself of changing the landscape, go back to 1945. Absolutely bizarre. There really may be more to that story. They may be the ones who got away. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Thank you, Temporal and Sean. Thank you for doing that work on that. We're in the Carpenter Copter, flying around. Let's leave Utah and head out to McLeod, Oklahoma. Flying overhead. Throwing breaded seagulls. When I was a kid, there was that thing where my brother's friends were taking Alka-Seltzers, wrapping them in bread and throwing them, and the seagulls would eat the Alka-Seltzer, and then they'd blow up. Now, I don't think that's true. I think that the mechanism is true. I think that because they can't pass gas or something like that, and the Alka-Seltzer makes them super gassy, that their stomach might distend, but I don't think they blew up midair. But anyways, we're not doing that. We're throwing bread. We're making up for those horrible kids at uh, Mount Tamalpais High, who were doing that, we're throwing bread out of the... You're like, Jason, just fly the stupid thing. You can throw bread out of the helicopter. I'm flying around. You're just eating the bread yourself every time we turn around. Like, are the birds following us? And you're like, well, yeah, yeah. Mm. Eight grain. Eight grain eight grain toast. Like, what? Where'd you get a toaster? So anyways, we're flying the helicopter around. I smell the delicious smell of butter on toast. I'm like, I'm on keto. Flying around. And we get, we're going to land in this guy's front yard, right? And we're landing there right when the cops are showing up. We're like, oh, it's getting good. We didn't deal with any of that boring preamble. Cops are showing up to the house. We go in after him. We just walk in after the cops. We're invisible, apparently. Or we have badges, dude. We have, like, I should have come up with these 200 episodes ago. We have, like, a police badge that when we flash it, it's whatever, what, okay, now it's getting too convoluted. It's whatever jurisdiction it needs to be. So if I show it to a librarian, it's a, libra- it's a library card. But if I show it to a cop, it's an outranking officer. So anyways, that's a new gimmick that I'll probably totally forget about right away. We show our brand new Dead Rabbit ID badges. What's a good name for that? Lupine License. Lupine's a rabbit, right? Lupus License. Lupus License. I'm never going to mention it again. We show our lupus license and they're like, oh, gentleman and or lady, because you know, you never know, go go on in. I have a varied audience. Walk on in. So we walk in the crime board, stepping over all the stuff. You're dropping bread in the, in the crime scene. Anyways, anyways, 
<laughs> we're at the crime scene, and what we see is there's a young man there. He's about 34. His name is Brad Lee Davis. Just a couple letters short of being Bruce Lee Davis, which would have been dope. Brad Lee Davis is sitting there in the house. He's like, can I have some bread? <laughs> we're like, no, no. We want to know the whole story and then maybe give you some bread. And he's like, that's fair. Now, he's fine, but there's a body laying in the house as well. And it's this older guy. His name, tell me if this, does, I read this name and I was like, is this like, this name, my, this name just sounds like a cologne. Denver St. Clair is this dude's name. He's an older man. He's dead. His underwear. <laughs> he's dead, okay? He's laying on the ground with an atomic wedgie. So his underwear is pulled. This is 100% true, okay? His underwear is pulled all the way up his back, over his head, over his face. The elastic band is around his neck. He's just laying on the ground dead. And you're like, what went on here? What, Mr. Brad, what's going on here? And he goes, well, me and my, this is my stepdad. He points over the guy with the atomic wedgie. Cops are taking pictures. This is my stepdad. And he's been abusive towards my mom. And we're like, oh, that's not very funny. Why did she have to tell us that? And he's like, yeah, I know. It's it's not very funny, is it? And kind of looks at us. You guys are doing a comedy podcast. Why are you covering the story? And we're like, well, you know, look at the wedgie. He's like, okay, anyways. So this guy was abusive towards my mom. And we got in a fight. And I was afraid for my life. So look at all this stuff that's been knocked over during this huge, long fight. So I finally hit him so hard I knocked him out, and then just, you know, because I thought it was funny, I gave him an atomic wedgie. I took the underwear and put it all the way over his body, over his head, and wrapped around his neck. Now, the problem is, there's actually several problems with that. The atomic wedgie is what killed him. The elastic band, tell me this wouldn't be a good advertising. Someone made the joke about it. I think it was Carson made this joke. They, I mean... The underwear holds up so well. Not only was he able to get the elastic band from a guy's butt crack over his head and wrapped around his neck, but it crushed, it like suffocated him. They don't name the brand of the underwear, but that's quite impressive, honestly. Death by atomic wedgie. Now, the police are doing their investigation. They start to notice some things. They don't necessarily dispute the fact that the son felt he was being abusive towards the mother, but I couldn't see anything, any statements from the mother saying that was true. The police don't believe there was an all-out fight. They believe he attacked his stepfather, knocked him unconscious, gave him the wedgie, and then trashed the place himself to make it look like it was a big fight. So now things are getting really weird. And the cops said, yeah, he did die of an atomic wedgie. But his head injury that knocked him unconscious was so bad, that would have killed him if he hadn't gotten treatment. Anyways, so Brad Lee Davis gets dragged into court, sat down. He pled guilty to manslaughter, 30 years in prison for killing your stepfather with an atomic wedgie. I'm not saying that's not necessarily an unjust sentence. I'm saying, oh man, like he's 34 years old. He's going to be in prison till he's 64. You guys know how to do math, but... I mean, just think about that. Just for doing an atomic wedgie. One of the statements he said to the judge was, I feel like this is a terrible nightmare. And you're like, Jason, again, this is a comedy podcast. Why are you dwelling on this? I, one, atomic wedgie, that's pretty funny. But I don't know, man. It's just, it's a funny story, but it's also like quite miserable. This guy threw his life away. Punched the dude. In the, okay, it's depressing. The atomic wedgie part's funny, but the end's depressing. Now, I will tell you this. Let's go ahead and segue on to our next story. 
This next story is depressing, too. It involves vampires, kind of. Well, technically it involves vampires, but it's kind of depressing. So, it's kind of funny, though, too. So, again, it's kind of in the... I probably should have put these stories in different episodes. Um, This one's also kind of depressing. So, but again, you know. Let's go ahead and get started with it. If, if you just want to jump to tomorrow's episode, what's tomorrow's episode about? Let me give you a quick preview if you don't want to hang around for this one. What's tomorrow? Wednesday. Well, I'm recording it a half hour from now, but... Oh, yeah, tomorrow's episode, uh, it's Vampire, of course. We're doing Vampire Week. And it's about a vampire that started it all. Not Dracula, that's lame. Not Vlad the Impaler. Anyways, just listen to tomorrow's episode. Let's go ahead and get on to this next story. So we are going to go ahead... Hop in the carpenter copter one last time for this episode. We're saying goodbye to Bradley Davis. We walk out of the courtroom and we're like, that was an unfortunate. You're like, Jason, that was not fun. That story wasn't as funny as you thought it was. And I was like, yeah, the headline seemed funny. Once I started talking about it and once I mentioned the domestic violence angle, I realized that it wasn't as funny as I remembered. So we stopped by the bread store. You're like, I need my bread. Get you some more bread to make up for that, for that depressing story. You're like, this next story is going to be fun, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally fun. Here, eat some bagels. So let's hop in the carpenter copter. We're flying to Notting Hill, birthplace of Hugh Grant. And we are going to the year 2015. Now, this story was a suggestion from Mason Norbeck, the architect of Vampire Week. And we're going, so thanks, Mason. We're going to Notting Hill. And we meet a woman. Her name is Shelley Christopher. Hey, that is weird. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Christopher Lee played Dracula. And Frankenstein fought Dracula. So that's weird that that her name is this. And it's a vampire story. And yes, the heat is starting to affect my brain. Shelley Christopher, 36 years old. I don't know if Christopher Lee played Dracula. He was in horror movies. I'm sure he did eventually. I do not know Christopher Lee's. I know he was a Sith. He was Count Dooku. And he was Saruman. That's all I know. If he was Dracula, that was a total fluke. Okay, so Shelly Christopher, 36 years old. She's walking into a mental health clinic. And she walks up to the front counter. And she's like, rings a little bell. Ding, ding, ding. And there's some nurse comes out with a padded jacket. And she's like, can I help you? And she goes, yes. Yes. I've never... <laughs> I gotta start making the jokes early because this one gets depressing. She's like, yes, I'll have a number seven. And they have like a list of paranoid delusions on a menu. She's like, I'll have a number seven. So number seven was uh, vampires are out to get you. She's being followed, right? And as she's at the mental health clinic waiting to get checked in, waiting for her order, they put it up on a little spindle and there's like a psychiatrist behind the counter. He's like, number seven coming up. As she's waiting to get checked in, she starts to notice there are vampires in the clinic. Like doing the taxes. One of them is at the water fountains, blood shooting out of it. So she leaves. Now, from that little intro, you should be able to tell this woman is full on uh, delusional at this point. So whatever her life circumstance, we're, we, we don't know much about her. This is a totally true story. Went through the court system. We don't know much about how she got to this point. But February 2015, she walks into a clinic, sees vampires leave. So full on delusion at this point. Now, the fact that she went to the health clinic in the first place makes you think, the mental health clinic makes you think she knew something was wrong. But nonetheless, she sees her most hated enemies there, the vampires, she leaves. She goes home, and she's sitting in her living room. And she's like, 
can't go there because there's vampires there. She has a checklist all the places. It's like graveyards, no. Unsanctified churches, no. She's like crossing all this stuff off. And she's like, I don't know where to go now. And then she hears a voice go, You know what you need to do, Shelly. You know what you need to do. Shelly's like, where's that voice coming from? And she looks up. There's a light bulb in the kitchen light. And it goes, yes, Shelly, it is I, a light bulb. You know what you need to do. You need to kill the vampires. They're taking over the world, Shelly. And only you can stop them. Now, as a comedy podcast, I'm going to make a joke about whether or not it was an animated light bulb with, like, lips and eyes. Did it look like Clippy from the Microsoft Word document? Or was she just staring at... What? In reality, she was just looking at a light bulb. But, I, again, I've talked about this before. What does a delusional person see? Was the light bulb... Was it just, like, going, Shelly? It was, like, lighting on and off? Or was it, like, have a mouth? Did it look like a, a light bulb that would appear over Roger Rabbit's head? I don't know. But anyways, light bulb tells her that vampires are taking over the planet and she has to stop them, right? And she's sitting there and she's like, oh, I don't know, man, I got a lot of stuff to do. Light bulb's like, the world is in trouble, Shelly. You have to kill the vampires. And Shelly Christopher's sitting there and she goes, hmm, speaking of vampires, there is a little girl living with me right now. So later on, her boyfriend, Richard Brown, shows up at her house. Now, again, I'm assuming Richard had to know that things were deteriorating with Shelley. Something was totally going wrong. Richard Brown shows up at the house, and he brings along their daughter, Sophia. And we don't know a lot of details, because the only witness to this is certifiably insane. Richard Brown gets to the house and asks Shirley, what's going on, dude? So he had to have assumed that... Maybe he was trying to get a hold of her or something like that. But he goes to the house and asks her what's going on. That's the exact quote. And Shirley's looking right at him. And she just goes, you're one of them. You're a vampire. And she sticks him right in the chest. She begins stabbing him. And then she says, he becomes a vampire. As she's stabbing him, she says his eyes turned color. And he began to try to bite her. And so that only fuels her delusion even more. Because as she's murdering this man, she's watching him change into a monster. So she finishes him off. And then she turns to her daughter and says, are you one of them? And Sophia says, yes, I am, mummy. Shelly picks the knife back up. The light bulb then tells Shelly. (laughs) <laughs> the light bulb's just watching this whole thing being like, oh, this joke went on too long. I should have, should have. She's getting punked by Ashton Kutcher. He put a microphone in the light bulb. He's like, dude, this will be so funny. Watch Mariah Carey murder these people. And then they're like, oh my God. So anyways, she's not getting punked. She's in the full, she's in a full mental breakdown at this point. The light bulb says, you've stabbed them, but remember they're vampires. You must stake them with wood. So, Shelly Christopher gets the only wood, really, that a suburban house mom would have. Pencils and a child's paintbrush. And was stabbing them now with 
pencils and a wooden child's toothbrush. Now, a miracle happens. The first girl, so she was at the house when the light bulb started talking to her. She realized she had a little girl in the house. She lives totally, she got really, really stabbed up. And that happened before her boyfriend and her daughter came over. So she attacked this one girl. Then she, then later, boyfriend, daughter shows up, kills them. But then the other girl's still alive. So again, because Shelly is nuts, she, well, this is a good nuts. She, she takes the first victim to the hospital and says, oh, look at what, she must have fallen down the stairs. And they're like, her face is severely slashed up. Like she was really, really cut up, but she survived. And so the hospital staff, uh, Shelly's sitting in the, in the waiting room and the hospital staff's like, uh, we better get the cops down here. So the cops went, talked to her. They went to the house. They walked in. They found the bodies, bodies of the boyfriend and the daughter. What happens is almost immediately, everyone is just like this woman's too insane to stand trial. They did go through the whole pro, like the prosecutors wanted her blood, but prosecutors go through the rigmarole. Defense lawyers is like, she's insane. There were allegations that she was faking the insanity, which is po- which is always possible. But she was eventually found insane and sentenced to nothing. She was basically just put in a mental hospital against her will. Too insane to even stand trial. If you can't understand the charges against you, you're too insane to be tried for anything. And I'm sure with the right course of medicine, all of these illusions go away. I remember once when I lived in Sacramento, it was probably back in 2001, I was driving home from this chick's house, and it was probably like 2 in the morning, something like that. I was driving along Antelope Road out in the middle of nowhere. It's out actually where I covered the story with like, it used to be a Japanese internment camp. It's out over there. It wasn't that wasn't there when I was there. It was like, hey guys, just driving by. I'm like, look at me, I'm free. Like that happened years, decades before me. But anyways, I wasn't joyriding around miserable people. So I'm driving through uh, uh, basically Antelope um, towards Citrus Heights. And I saw off in the distance, it would have been a couple miles away. So, I mean, it wasn't like right around the corner, but probably about, you know, three or four miles away. Sacramento's fairly flat. I saw this massive, This is, you guys are going to be like, Jason, this might be your dumbest story ever. But I'm driving, it's late at night, I'm all alone on the road. I see a massive blue beam shooting up into the sky. And I go, that's weird. And and now it was, the circumference was, it had to be, God, I don't know. I mean, the fact that I could see it as far away as it was, it would have had to be maybe about like 100 yards in circumference. And it was a couple miles away and it was shooting up as one giant beam. It looked like a giant spotlight, but again, there's no spotlights that are 100 yards across that I know of. And it was blue. And I remember driving by and I was looking at it and I thought, I bet you right now over there, there's some epic battle between good and evil going on. And like some Skeletors trying to open a portal and Galador for whatever is there like trying to work on this little device real quick because the good guys are like fighting off this horrible entity attacking Earth. And I thought I should drive over there and be part of that adventure. I should just stop by and see what's going on. Now, I didn't, because obviously I'm still, I'm here and not in Eternia. But I remember I was looking over at that beam, and I thought I, I was kind of compelled to go over there and find out what it was. I, At the very least, to find out what it was. 
at the most, maybe join a group of heroes traveling across the dimensions fighting Skeletor. But I said, nah, I'm too tired. Yeah, I got a lot of stuff to do tomorrow. So I drove past this portal that was opening up and went to bed. The reason why I tell that story, totally true story, absolutely happened. Now, again, logically, it was probably some something else, something not that. But the reason why I tell that story is because I think it's really easy to look at things that are paranormal, that are weird, and to kind of get swept up in the moment of it. Think, think about it this way. I think an insane person who had a delusion would go to every giant light they saw in the sky expecting to see Skeletor showing up. Like, does that make sense? And I think a rational person will drive by something like that and go, a rational person would go, oh, it's just probably nothing. Uh, a person who's interested in this stuff like us would go to check it out. And then a delusional person would have websites about blue beams being spotted all over the world and tracking them on huge maps, stuff like that. And the reason why I'm, sh- I'm sharing that story with you and kind of relating it back to this is we deal in this stuff all the time. We're fans of the paranormal. She obviously, we know that they weren't vampires. They were murder victims. The reason why we know that is because if they were real vampires, it takes more than a pencil and a paintbrush to put one down. And the other girl survived, so she obviously wasn't a vampire. You know, just there's a lot of like stuff going on. This woman was mentally ill. Light bulbs are talking to her. And and so this is what I'm getting at. This is what I'm getting at. Let's say that you, you personally, stumble across the conspiracy. Let's say that you discovered that there's something weird happening in your neighborhood that's not on the up and up. And then one night you d- you do decide, hey, you know, I just want to drive in that area a little bit later and see if I can see what's up. At the very least, it'll be an interesting story to tell my buddies. Hey, I thought this guy was selling drugs out of his car and it turns out he was just unloading his grandma's laundry late at night or something like that. And you come, you being a rational human being, being an intelligent person, you see a vampire and not just a fleeting glimpse of a dark shadow walking by a building or a man wearing a cape you see a man drink the blood of a victim just right in front of you first off would you tell anybody you may tell people online and i think you'd probably have a hard time believing that that's actually what you saw but then you continue to go back or continue to look into it and you come to the belief that vampires are taking over part of your city. What do you do? Because it's a, so because it's the same thing. Let's say that you felt that the Crips, the street gang, the Crips were moving drugs through your neighborhood. Some of you are like they are. I know they are. I'm one of the Crips. But let's say that in your area where that activity is not necessarily normal. You come to the idea that there is a gang moving drugs through your city. Or intimidating shop owners, kicking over apple carts, whatever. You could go to the police. If you see someone get assaulted and beat up, you could go to the police. But if you don't have that option, if you're watching people drink the blood of other people and like burning the, let's say there's no evidence, they're burning the bodies or whatever. It's all hypothetical. What do you do? You believe and you have evidence, you've seen it, you can't prove it to anyone else, but you have seen with your own eyes vampires attacking people in your city and they're going to try to take over city council for whatever nefarious scheme they have next. What do you do? That's the interesting question about the story. This woman was insane, but she thought she wasn't. 
Even though she went in the mental health clinic, she probably had a little bit of doubts, like we would. After the first vampire attack, you'd be like, oh my god, I'm going nuts. But after the fourth one, you would be drawing maps, marking out vampire attacks. What do you do? That's such an interesting question. Because if you truly believe that your city, the world, is on the cusp of takeover of vampires, and nobody else knows, what do you do? If you do anything, you will be labeled a murderer and a psychopath. And it's probably true. You probably didn't really uncover a a vampire ring trying to take over city council. But you never know. You never know. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.